Our gospel lesson for the morning is a part of Jesus' sermon and teaching in early in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. And it's toward the end of that sermon that that Jesus says shares with us some some wonderful words. The sixth chapter beginning at the twenty fifth verse. Would you please give attention to the reading of God's holy word? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, in this moment, open our hearts anew to, to your word, to your way, and to your will. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Welcome to Central. Those of you who are listening by way of radio, we welcome you as well. It is a delight to be at Central this day. I want to share with you this morning concerning this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching to you and to me about the ridiculousness of our worry. Some of you know the Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. My son-in-law, stepfather, knows that movie by heart. Not just little Ralphie's lines. But he knows every line of every character in that movie. If you're familiar with the story, it is a story where Ralphie 
wants nothing more for Christmas than a Red Raider BB gun. That's his only and greatest desire for this particular Christmas. And the story shows us the life of Ralphie and his family building up to Christmas that particular year. One of the funniest scenes in the whole movie is the day they are at recess at school. And uh, Ralphie and some of his chums are on the playground. And this is not Florence where it's set because they go to school when there's snow on the ground. Okay? But don't you worry, I grew up in South Carolina and when it snowed, we never went to school where I grew up. So it doesn't happen just in Florence. But in, in the Christmas story, snow is everywhere. They are all bundled up. They're out at recess. These boys must be fourth, fifth, maybe sixth grade at tops. And they're all together. And their conversation is about, is it true if you stick your tongue to the flagpole, it'll freeze there? And all of a sudden, one of Ralphie's friends turns to uh, another friend, I dare you to stick your tongue to the flagpole. And there's a little back and forth. And it's obvious that the guy is not going to stick his tongue to the flagpole, whereby the other guy who had issued the dare, I double dare you to stick your tongue to the flagpole. And now, now the other friend is in a position and a predicament of having to do just that. He does not want to lose face in front of all of his friends. And he has argued that, that his tongue will not stick to the flagpole. And the next scene shows the recess bell ringing and all the kids going back into the schoolroom except for one little boy whose tongue is frozen to the flagpole. And in the next scene, they are, are walking along together after school, having conversation, except for the boy whose tongue was on the flagpole, is now wrapped in gauze and, and cannot, he cannot speak a word. Have you been a part in your life? Have you, have you been a part of a dare? I don't know if that still happens in the world today. I don't know if kids still, still uh, challenge one another with I dare you, or I double dare you, or I double dog dare you. But when I was a boy, it was quite common. And without reliving my whole childhood with you this morning, let's suffice it to say, that because of dares, I spent one day of suspension from school and had to call the fire department twice. And I don't need to go any further. I want to revisit those moments, not those specific moments, but if a dare is not part of the world today, and is not part of your world, 
Come with me and let's revisit because I want to dare you this morning. I want to dare you not to worry. Wow. Wouldn't that be remarkable if you and I could go even a day without worrying? I dare you not to worry. Essentially, without using those specific words, that's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples and those who were listening this day as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. Why in the world would you waste your time worrying? As Meg shared with the children, Jesus shared with the disciples and the others who were listening, Think about the birds of the air. Think about how they are provided for day by day and moment by moment without any thought or any worry. Just to find the worms in the earth or the berries on the bush. And then he says to them, think about the lilies of the field. Again, Meg shared with the children, they don't give a thought to the rain. They don't give a thought to the sunshine. Because it is provided. They have no need of worry. I dare you not to worry. That doesn't mean that you and I sit still and idly pass our time doing nothing. It doesn't even come close. But when you and I can convince ourselves, when we can be convinced in our hearts and our souls that God sufficiently provides for you and me as God provides for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, then you and I are set free to build the kingdom to be about God's work in and through the church of our Lord Jesus Christ when you and I have experienced that freedom, that life-giving freedom, we are set free to be kingdom builders. Because you see, my friends, the moments that you and I spend in worry are moments taken away from our relationship with the good Lord. We spend our moments, and even Jesus said to those listening, look, the troubles for today are enough. You don't need to concern yourself with tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or whatever it is is on your schedule for the rest of the week. But God grants and gives you and me all that we need to confront the troubles of this day. I dare you. I dare you not to worry. Some of you are as old as I am, so you know the name Doris Day. 
When I was a child, Doris Day was a television star, among other things, and on her TV show, as it came on, she sang um, a, a good Presbyterian hymn. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see, que sera, sera. If you're Presbyterian in your past, forgive me. Because of the predestination manner and tone of Doris Day's song. We have to be, my friends, much more committed than that. Your life and my life as a disciple of Jesus the Christ is not 100% carefree. When you and I are called and invited to Christian discipleship, and we respond accordingly. You must know that there is an awesome responsibility that comes with that commitment. But I dare you not to worry so that your life and my life can be freed up to be builders of the kingdom. I dare you to be more faithful Jesus saw it in the faces of those to whom He was speaking that day. What did He say? You of little faith. I dare you. I dare you to be more faithful in your living. I dare you and me to be more faithful in our relationships. I dare us to be more faithful in the commitments that we have made. I like the definition that the writer of Hebrews shares with us about faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Couldn't we all stand this day to be more faithful? Whether it means more faithful in our, in our spiritual journey, or like I said a moment ago, more faithful in our relationships, more faithful in, in that which God constantly calls us to be about, I dare us. I dare us to be more faithful. And I want to share with you a new definition of faith that has guided my life now for a short time. Carol and I were in the mountains of North Carolina uh, a year or so ago. We were rumbling around an old shop that looked like there was nothing in it but junk. And I was growing tired of this junk store and and I was walking toward the exit, and there on the wall was an old plank that had come out of a barn. And an artist had taken that plank and had painted it, had added a little flower to it, and then these words. When you come to the edge of all the light, you know and are about to step into the darkness of the unknown.
Faith is knowing one of two things will happen. You will either have something solid to stand on, or you will be taught to fly. I dare us to be more faithful. I dare us. And then, my friends, I dare us to put God first in our lives. Jesus strictly commanded that of you and me. Strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. I dare us to put God first. In all of your prioritizing, in all of the important things that are part of your life, family and job and friends and whatever else you list as, as those things that are most important, I dare us to put God first, to make God the priority of your life and of my life, and if you say, John, how do we do that? I would tell you that you and I are those of us who are present today who are actually members of the United Methodist Church have taken a vow, a vow of membership. You remember those of you who are married, you remember when you, uh, when you married and you exchanged vows? And that marriage vow uh, reminds us in sickness or in health, for better, for worse, to love and to cherish till death us do part, according to God's holy ordinance. Your membership vow to God's church says this, Will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and uphold it by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? An all-consuming kind of vow that if you and I are true to it on a daily basis, we can have the opportunity to come closer to putting God first in our lives. I dare you, I dare you to put God first, to pray more, to give more, to be involved more, to share more about your story of faith. We all know Charlie Brown, don't we? And uh, I heard on the radio the other day that this weekend... Pitchers and catchers are reporting to spring training in Florida and in Arizona. Linus is Charlie Brown's statistician every baseball season. At the end of last season, Linus comes to Charlie Brown and says, Charlie Brown, I want to tell you about our season. Just a season where we almost scored a run. 
In several games, Charlie Brown, the other team, almost didn't score before the first out. Charlie Brown playing right field. Lucy almost caught three balls. And one, almost, and one time almost made the right play. And Linus says to Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, we led the league in almost. When we almost put God first. It's not God that loses. But rather you and me. Not taking a dare threatens to ruin one's reputation. One's reputation puts one in danger of being called a wimp or a scaredy cat. And I've stood here this morning and I've dared us. I've dared us not to worry. I've dared us not. Uh, I've dared us to be more faithful. I've dared us to put God first. But my friends, hear this because this is the good news. Our God is not a God of dares, but rather a God of invitations. The only time that I can think of. In Scripture that comes close to a dare is with Jesus in the wilderness and he's confronted by Satan. I dare you to jump off the mountain. I dare you to tear down the temple. That's the only time. The other times when God confronts God's people, it seems to me that it is through invitation. So it's not about a dare, but rather your response and my response to God's invitation not to worry. God's invitation to be more faithful. God's invitation to put God first. If we don't respond just now, God is not going to forsake you. That is the good news. God continues to issue those invitations day by day and moment by moment in your life and in my life. He is, God is not about shaming you or me in front of other people. God is not a God of dares. but a God of invitation. That your life and my life might be made right. Jimmy was going into the eighth grade. He was born with some mental difficulty and most all of his life Jimmy had been in special classes in school. But he had worked hard. And all of the folks at school talked to Jimmy's parents and they felt like it was time that they could mainstream Jimmy into the regular classroom. 
Jimmy was excited as school began to start. His classmates uh, enveloped him and, and loved him and befriended him and cared about Jimmy. Before too long, the teacher announced that they would begin to prepare for a traditional Christmas pageant that they would produce in the auditorium in front of family and friends and the community, not wanting to embarrass Jimmy or his family. The teacher wondered what in the world could she do to include him without too much pressure. And she finally invited Jimmy to be the innkeeper. Four words said twice was all Jimmy had to, to prepare for. And they practiced and they prepared. And the big evening came and the curtains opened. And they began to tell the, the familiar Christmas story in the way that you and I are accustomed. Joseph and Mary made their way to Bethlehem to the innkeeper's door and they knocked. And Jimmy opened the door and he was determined. He had practiced and practiced and practiced and he knew exactly what he was supposed to say. And Joseph inquired about a room in Jimmy. He was just standing there staunch. We have no room. And at that, the young lady who was playing Mary began to respond about their plight, about their journey, about her pregnancy about a little baby who might be born in the cold so as to freeze to death and begged for a place to stay. And Jimmy knew what he was supposed to say. Determined once more to utter those four words that he had been taught and that he had practiced so many times. But in those moments, as Mary pled her case, God invited Jimmy to do something different. Didn't dare him. Didn't dare him to change the story. Invited Jimmy to change the story. And when Mary finished, Jimmy said, You can have my room. God invites you and me in every moment to be His and to be kingdom builders and as a mere human this day I dare you to answer that invitation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen